0: Welcome to the Positively Roswell podcast. Each week, we'll bring you inspiring conversations from your neighbors that help make Roswell one of the best communities in the world to live, work, and play. I'm your host, Ty Anderson, a Grammy award winning musician, brand strategist, and longtime Roswell resident. The Positively Roswell podcast is recorded in the heart of Canton Street from the wine room of Osteria Matone, a neighborhood restaurant serving regional Italian cuisine. With a focus on Roman Fair, to learn more about Positively Roswell, check out positivelyroswell.org or connect with us on Facebook at Pro Roswell. Positively Roswell is elevating engagement in our city by accentuating the positive stories of our world-class community. Today, we sit down with Christina De Victor. Some might know Christina as a wedding photographer. But to describe her as such is to not know Christina. She is a traveling storyteller for the creative and adventurous who helps document her client's truth through timeless emotional imagery. Additionally, she is a leader of the burgeoning community of creative professionals in Roswell, establishing a creative footprint at Roco. So welcome to the Positively Roswell podcast, Christina DeVictor. I had to get you on the podcast for us to be able to like sit down and finally have a meaningful conversation, which I've been wanting to do for a long time, ever since I heard about you. And then I met you at this block party on Oak Street where this crazy little thing called the Roswell Collective, Roco, they're having a party and there was like hundreds of artists and hipsters and all these really cool talented people and there was a band playing and people were having an incredible time and making furniture and painting and taking pictures <laughs> and all this stuff and I was like, "Wait a second, this is Roswell, Georgia. What's going on here? I didn't realize we had this whole burgeoning artist community." And then I met you and you got on stage and you were Speaking more quickly than I am right now in this introduction, <laughs> you're talking so fast. You said, "When name is Christine I'm Victor, I just talk really fast." And they welcome to RoCo. I was going, "Whoa, this girl is like caffeinated up." So you're coming <laughs> in today. I'm, ge- I'm catching you maybe with not quite so much caffeine, so we can just have a conversation. But welcome to the Positively Roswell I'm so podcast. Happy to be here. Yes. So tell everybody what in the world is going on on Oak Street.
1: So on Oak Street, uh, it's kind of a long story, but I'll make it really quick. Uh, Three years ago, we started a co-working environment for artists and quickly heard crickets. There weren't too many people that were looking to work outside the home. Flash forward a year, we kind of fought to stay relevant in a town that really wasn't ready yet. We naturally moved into a larger space because that's what you do when you're not succeeding. (laughs) And we ended up just being more inspired by the space next door. So we moved into 2000 square feet. We grew based on necessity and slowly, but surely the name got out and we started having conversations with other artists that were in town or in other areas of outside the perimeter. And we got them to come in this idea that we could create the beginning of an arts district in Roswell. Lots of conversations, setbacks and uh, triumphs along the way led us to kind of having to make a decision of whether or not we were going to close or not. And right in the last second, we thought of a brilliant idea. What if we, meeting my husband and I, Tony DeVictor, team up with the landlord and we try to create a larger umbrella to house the professional creatives that live and work in Roswell? And so one conversation went to another and I connected with Ralph Mills, who is my current landlord. And we started dreaming up what it would look like to say, hold on, you know, let's wait till we make sure this next tenant is a great fit for this big vision. And it was one after the other of just people coming into our lives that were perfect fits and us building what is now a nearly 13,000 square feet of creative professionals, so we're basically all working together independently but collaboratively in thirty thousand square feet.
0: I love that you know when you when you say the word artists, um, people that are not artists tend to conjure up certain images in their mind. And then when you use the word creative professionals, um, perhaps a little different image comes to mind.
1: and I think that was actually the big difference was we were using the word artist too much and there's a lot of pain and uh, a lot of people that say oh, I'm not an artist well, I found that while I 100% disagree, I believe we're all creative at our hearts, I still realized that I needed to change the wording so that it had a larger pool of people that would be interested in coming into the development.
0: I like that because even you know, as we've connected a little bit about my background, but 22 years in music and all these things, I still, like, I would probably hesitate to use the word artist, even though people, you know, well, you're a recording artists or whatever, but the, that umbrella of creative uh, professional, I go, well, yeah, you know, we were in a creative space. We were making something from nothing, but it doesn't have to be slinging paint on a canvas.
1: Exactly. There's
0: photographers, and there's web developers, and there's digital artists, and there's social media Media coordinators, and when you open it up to creative professionals, you actually realize that there is big business to be had, and people making good livings, providing valuable services that that fit under that category.
1: And as you know, that fits our town. I am. Um, we aren't the starving artists typically because people move outside the city. It's typically a different age demographic as well. This was just something that we had to realize uh, over time, and to be honest. I hope to get more people that are considered starving artists and people that are struggling, uh, but we're just going to have to create space for them to be able to live here eventually.
0: So you're creating the place for them to work, but there isn't the place for them to live. I mean, let's—if we talk about it. Well, there is. I mean, even a a uh, you know one bedroom apartment at City Walk is you know fourteen hundred bucks a month. So as far as just uh, you know a, a space, um, and certainly you know d- to talk about purchasing anything, it, we just don't have those products in Roswell. So you're definitely um, there's that balance of going you need them to be, uh, pretty advanced in their career to be able to live in Roswell. So how do we how do we bridge that gap? Because certainly in anything in creative professional, music, photography, whatever, you always have to be looking to what's next. You always have to be cultivating and mentoring talent. Um, but where can you live in Roswell outside of your parents' basement uh, if, if you're not already extremely successful?
1: And that's so funny that you say that because it's the number one issue. Uh, all the people that work inside our space, it's a very high level of renter's culture. We have the money to buy a house, potentially, that's anywhere between two hundred and two and $250,000, but you can't find that here. And if you do find it here, it's dilapidated. There is no housing for singles, which I think is can be very discouraging for people who maybe haven't found their mate yet and want to live in a safer, more neighborly environment other than parts of the city. And so we're really doing the artist community service. The only way that I see that that will change is if the city realizes that holding off on some property or encouraging a developer to create that kind of housing for artists, I don't see that problem changing. If anything, I see it becoming a smaller sector of creative professionals because, um, well, honestly, we may not grow outside of the group because we've got to have that young talent. And currently, all the young talent lives outside of Roswell. And when I say young talent, I mean under 25 that's working in our development. They're either living in Atlanta, north of us, or living with their parents. Mm
0: -hmm. You know, uh, so this podcast, we're going to see what it becomes. But I know it's not going to be a national political podcast. So I'm not going to go there. Um, However, there's there's a great... Winston Churchill quote: It's a great meme you can find on the internet as well, where you know when Winston Churchill was told or was asked to cut funding for the arts and cut funding for music in order to pay for the conflict of World War II, you know he had a response of, "Then what are we fighting for?" Mm. And I think right now in our in our culture, um, it's easy. There's so many times where even in education, I hear uh, about STEM. And I like to I like to talk about steam because I feel like you got to have if you want to get anywhere, you need the arts. And, you know, there, there's plenty of scientific studies about the value of arts um, and certainly the value of music, the, the way that it unlocks your brain and, and, and opens up your full potential. So that's a separate rant. But I'd like for maybe you just to speak to of what what the arts bring to a city and, and why they're so important to cultivate.
1: Wow. Something I'm so passionate about. And I think for my husband and I, who are both in the creative industry, we want to be around people that understand our lives. We've made a lot of changes over the past couple of years to surround ourselves with people who understand uh, the creative life, which is somewhat erratic at times, um, somewhat steady, so exciting. But ultimately, we want Roswell to be more well-rounded. We feel that an arts district is a shocking, um, how I guess trying to think of the word and say it perfectly, but that's not going to happen. No, um, we don't have it basically. And we have it now. We haven't had it for many years. We have it now, but it's because an artist had to be on the ground, uh, working for that goal. Uh, Ralph alone was not going to be able to, uh, mobilize a generation. He had to team up with someone with a little bit of fire and that's me. I'm, I'm definitely not somebody that's afraid of uh, confrontation. And I feel that um, in all great movements, there's got to be somebody at the front that says that's enough. And we cannot keep developing things that are for a specific niche of society. We have to have artists because when you saw those people come out that night, they were coming out because as you know, with Rosal, there isn't much to do. And so when people think of the arts, they're thinking of something they can go experience. And as of right now, the experiences outside of eating and drinking in Roswell are few. And, you know, yesterday I I sat on a board with uh, the director of the George Ensemble Theater, and he's seeing record numbers for their shows. And that's so encouraging. And he says that for the first time, he's seeing millennials come. And he says he's at the pinnacle of his career. And that was so encouraging for me mm-hmm. because what's finally happening is the uprising is occurring with my age and and younger and much younger where they're saying no more we are going to do this on our own and if the city doesn't help that's to their detriment ultimately
0: i want to talk a little bit about you So um, just tell everyone a little bit about your just your own career and about uh, what you do as a as a photographer and kind of what makes you really unique, which you really, really are.
1: (laughs) Uh, Okay, well, well, first I have to let people know that I am born and raised in Roswell, Georgia, and I'm very proud to live here. And after school at Ole Miss, I got my business degree, actually, and a second degree in Spanish assumed that corporate life would be for me, but anyone that knows me knows. That's not likely.
0: I think anyone listening <laughs> by this point gets gets it that that wasn't for you.
1: So I ended up leaving uh, the country for a year and went to 11 countries in 11 months on this trip called the World Race. I re- encourage any of you who have a traveler spirit to check it out. I saw things around the world that humbled me forever, and without question, had I not gone on that trip... I may never have had the foresight to pursue the creative arts. Uh, I came back knowing I was going to be a photographer, but I had zero skills and no money, and neither did my husband. He was graduating from theater degree at EGA. He was working with a local uh, theater in Norcross, and we were just pension pennies. And we are in Roswell, which is ironic. We were living, actually, this is awesome, but we were living in a grandmother's house, a friend of ours, not our grandmother, but someone else's uh you know, garageman apartment. And we moved, we have actually, we moved into our first house of our own still rental four years after. So we were living in someone's carriage house or whatever, because there was no way we could live up here. But we figured if we were going to start our businesses anywhere, we were going to do it in a place where we could give back and a place that we feel that we had support. So It's kind of crazy how it happened, but connections were kind of the anchor of my original work. I started shooting friends. I started, I shot my first wedding for a dear friend and she really took a risk on me. And uh, during this time, I was working at Ruan Canton as their manager. And I've actually, I still do their uh, marketing and PR and all their creative content uh, to this day, after almost six years since coming home. And so I had that side hustle that allowed me to, Uh, finance my dreams and start building my photography kit and my first year, and and this is, don't, don't take this the wrong way. I I share this simply to show that it was meant to be, uh, my first year I shot four weddings of friends and the next year I shot 21. Hmm. Then it never stopped and it continues to increase based on my availability. And I think what that was predominantly is a deep sense of focus on customer service and I just love improving. I'm always learning. And I, I just feel that I've not even reached a near what I would like to achieve. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of ironic. A lot of people probably think it's strange that I'm speaking about Roswell because I do about 50% of my work out of state and country. But I think it allows me the perspective to come back with fresh eyes on a, on a place that a lot of people can get irritated with uh, when it comes to politics. So I think Tony and I both travel quite a bit, and we're able to come back uh, and take a break in Roswell and enjoy all the things it has to offer. But yeah, full-time wedding photographer, I... See, I... Uh,
0: wedding photographer doesn't cut it, okay? So, uh, what's your website? Tell uh... <laughs> Okay.
1: I love this. Okay, so Someplace Wild. So
0: Someplace Wild. Is... Go to Someplace Wild right now, and... It doesn't look like a wedding photographer, at least not what you remember a wedding photographer. Cause, um, I remember the wedding photographer nearly like ruining our wedding. Cause it was like, we, <laughs> like we said, I do. And then it was an hour of this jerk just posing us. And then, uh, my wife turned to bridezilla cause she was getting really irritated. But when I go to someplace wild and I look at your portfolio, I don't, I don't see pictures where you're standing 10 feet away from people, um, posing them in front of an altar and trying to get perfect symmetry. I see stories. You're a storyteller with pictures and the stories you tell are like Lords of the, Lord of the Rings epic. (laughs) Um, so, and it's like you're a hybrid of a, well, I'm not going to tell you what you are, but to me, I perceive this like hybrid of a travel photographer, um, a wedding photographer, a storyteller, and artist, it's something really different. It's like wedding photographer um, it is like so not it.
1: No, I think it's <laughs> funny because can you imagine if I had just said that about myself? I mean, let's be real. It's better coming from you. Okay,
0: um, well, I'm happy to oblige because yeah. it's so true. Like, anyone, stop listening if you want. Go check it out because it'll take your breath away. And it's like just on a website where it's not even a, a ton of images, but they're breathtaking. And they're so – but in it, you see this story – these stories come out and, um, you know, and what I see in this, in like in your, in your photography is, I, is the opposite of what, like, I hate wedding photography, what I think of it. Cause what it is is like, let's put on as much makeup as we can. Let's airbrush it enough to portray this image of perfection. And all the styles are going to get out of date in 20 years or whatever. The, the technology is going to change this and that. And it just kind of, it's it's just empty. But when I see your photography, you're not trying to cover up the imperfection. You're trying to capture the story. And imperfection is where beauty lies. It's the same. Like it's the same with music. It's actually I, I contend it's the same with all art. Yeah. Is is um, is imperfection is actually what we're drawn to and what's attractive. What we can relate to. I can't relate to perfect, but I can relate to to a flaw. Yeah. So I so I see. No, yeah,
1: and and you know, honestly, if, if you guys are looking, thanks. Uh, but just know that on the front page it says uh, "traveling storytellers," uh, based in Atlanta, San Francisco, New York. Which sounds funny, but we do quite a bit of work up there. And then it says, "documenting your truth by way of timeless emotional imagery," and that was uh, several days worth of thinking that came up with that tagline because I, I don't want to confuse the people that want the you know, the brushed on look and the, the fake, I mean, I'm, I'm here on earth for a purpose. And that is, uh, to truly be real and authentic to who I am and also to encourage others to be that way as well. Everyone who has ever been shot by me knows that 90% of the time I'm saying just be natural. Truly let's, let's create a space of comfort and know that I am not looking to make you look anything other than yourself. Mm-hmm. And I try to make sure that my clients know that from the get-go. Sometimes it's so hard to fight what people want to look like, but you know I'm willing to go uh, at that battle because for me it's worth it. This is life or death in a sense, and these images are going to be on people's grave sites uh, when when family members are remembering them. And we, as wedding photographers, have the ultimate challenge, which is to make a story out of true chaos. There is not a time where it is not chaotic. I don't care how laid back the client is. We have a job to do. And I, when I go into a wedding and this has taken many years to realize the the depth of this, when I go into a wedding day, I'm ready to gift and gift and gift. I want people to look back at their images and fall their eyes out because they see things they've never seen. Somebody wrote to me once, you showed me deeper into the relationships that I already have. I wish I have more testimonials. I'm that kind of photographer that's never updating because I'm always working. But ultimately, the things I've heard back from my clients are astounding. And I just did a project where I sent to one of my recent brides, I said, look, send me all the images that most impacted you and tell me why. And a couple of weeks later, she sent me back 20. I asked for three. (laughs) And uh, she said an individual piece of why each image Meant something to her. And guess what? Not one was posed. Not one was centered around her own personal beauty. I mean, let's be real, guys. If that's you, don't contact me. <laughs> but if you're the type that genuinely desires for life to be captured, I've started shooting families just recently. It's a very slow launch because I have to fight the sage cheese, cheese, cheese culture. And I'm willing to do it because what I'm gonna create is gonna change lives. And I really believe that. And it's the the driving force.
0: <laughs> Tell me the story, if you will, where a wardrobe malfunction that normally would have been the worst thing imaginable um, became the just this incredible story that you were able to capture. Okay. So
1: ironically, that was the fourth wedding I ever shot. And it was from that early stage that I realized, wow, things cannot go as planned. And I'll be real, at that time, I was just doing whatever I everyone else was doing because... In the beginning of any creative pursuit, I mean, you've got to, and if you've read the book, I hope you go out and get it, steal like an artist. It tells you about, you know, nothing's original and we're, we're pulling from our inspirations every day, walking down the street, we're pulling inspiration from what is already real and true. And so when I went into that wedding, my hope was to create the most beautiful images. Yeah. 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 So I went into that image ready to just kind of do what I'd seen others do. And the bride had everything taken care of. I mean, it was almost ridiculous. It was so perfect. And she's actually from Roswell, ironically. And uh, we're in the hotel. And as she's putting up this, I mean, who knows how expensive couture dress, it splits right down the back. And you can tell she is about to flip. And everyone stays calm. And there are quite a few bridesmaids, which in, in a lot of scenarios can make it even more dramatic and scary. Everyone's silent. I have imagery of people, like their faces just completely glued to what was happening. And... Mom pulls out a huge piece of, I don't even know what, it's like the thick, it looks like the thickest piece of floss you've ever seen. And she hand uh, sews this couture dress and couture dress. And when I say that, it's important to know because the, the material itself was as thick as jeans, no, probably double the thickness of jeans. And she is bleeding on her hands and carefully weaving her hands so that she does not bleed on the dress. And I overheard, and I don't know if I mentioned this to you, I overheard people talking about, oh, don't worry, she can edit this out. And it was just so hard to hear that because I thought, well, wait a minute. This is, this is the story forever. This is for generations to hear about and read about in, in letters, um, or in journals that were written. I mean, this is, this is what all great stories are. And ultimately that, was kind of the climax of the day. It took everything down to just earth level. And we played evenly all day. I mean it was there was nothing else that had to be overcome more than that that day. And so I feel like it it literally broke the straw on the camel's back. And the camel was able to just have fun after that. And I, I felt like it was it was actually the last wedding that I chose to shoot uh in any other way. I, I said from now on, and you can see in my portfolio, and anyone who knows <laughs> I've shot them, it was story from there on out. And you're right. I should probably say I'm a storyteller because I say it on my site, but I think, I think just to connect with the everyday public, it helps give people context to what I do.
0: When you hear that, when you see this kind of imagery, when you listen to that kind of music, that's the power that art has, is um, to sort of... Uh, to find the beauty and the flaws, to and to find the realness in in our everyday experience, and so I'm gonna let's try to translate that back to Roswell.
1: Sure. I think it connects um, very well. Actually, I think
0: you know what we have in Roswell is a is a prosperous suburb, and what everyone talks about is we do have this um, this like authentic um, soul and history that's there that everybody feels, but yet we also have um and i don't mean this critically or maybe i do but you know we we can fall prey to sort of a a superficial commercial trend that that has you know swept our entire planet where happiness comes with you know three three garage bays and um and and affluence and we're a very affluent area yet um there's a there's a whole lot of people that are that are missing that soul, and um, and that's what I see. That's why I was so excited to see about what you're doing. It's like because I go, wow, with Roswell we have so much going for us, but we could use a we could we could use at least digging out that soul, maybe highlighting that soul, maybe uh, maybe be a place where we're authentic with each other and where we're real with each other. Whether it's the sidelines of a sports field, realizing that like. We don't need our, – our kids' lacrosse performance does not uh, determine our self-worth, right? Maybe we could let a little of that go. And maybe we could let a little bit of just kind of the image go and just, like, really have authentic relationships. To me, that's when a community really becomes something special is in those relationships. But I think that art has to lead the way.
1: Yeah, and I think uh, it's hard not to be humbled in the field uh, if you're working hard towards something in the creative industry. I mean, this is all industries, but let me just point it to what I know. Every day is different. I mean, I can feel so pumped when I get an inquiry out of country that's sending me to the cliffs of Ireland, but the next day I can experience total fear in comparison with a peer. And it's just, it's real itself. I mean, if you're honest and untrue with the people around you, it's hard work. And I think Everyone that's in the development understands this and they live that out. And so when people come by, they're like, oh, I've never felt so, so seen. I've never felt so known by people. You really care. And that's because I really do care. And I think the people involved really care. They have a light from within that's shining very brightly. And my hope is just to continue lighting fires in people's hearts. And the only way to do that, I mean, is just to be kind and courageous and real. I mean, this is not so complicated. And I'm sure there are people out there that are thinking, "Oh, that's me." Um, are you? Uh, are you being kind right now? Uh, as we enter election season, are are we being kind? Are we being celebratory of others? Are we being courageous? I mean, I don't know. I'm not seeing much of that, but I'm I'm I will not get bogged down by the negativity. And anybody that knows me knows I have no time for that. We've got to look towards the positive. And for me, it's ironic that I think I thought this for quite some time and then Positively Rosal pops up out of nowhere. It didn't take me long to understand the purpose of that. And I'm hoping that Positively Rosal will be the largest social movement um, in the city.
0: I think it's not going to be easy. And this is why, is that um, I, I, I like to use this metaphor and this, this goes to the political, but um, you know, you see, when it, when people talk about Congress, if you asked 100 people, how many of you guys are for, are for term limits? 100 people will say they're for term limits. They think, yeah, we need term limits. And then 98 of them will go vote for every incumbent on the ballot, right? And so if you ask people, do you want elevated engagement? Do you want where we don't do personal attacks and where people, we elect leaders that can speak a positive vision, And people that are thoughtful and that are truly servant leaders, 100 out of 100 people will say yes. Then 70 out of 100 people will vote for whoever's the nastiest, the most negative, who it's like watching a car accident and people love it. It's like reality television and it feeds like a sick part of people's soul. That is the um, bastardization of art. The challenge is, is how do we get people there? And this is where I would love your input is that um, I have this vision of I go, man, I love this city and I love the people of this city when the people of their city are being their authentic selves. And I I want this to be a place where people are free to be themselves and where people make real connections where you don't feel like you're uh, that you can have your flaws and people are going to still love you. Those are the only relationships that matter and the end is like the people that actually know your flaws and love you anyway are the only people that are going to matter in your life. If people only love you for an image of perfection that's not real, then it's not it's not an authentic relationship. And that's like that's my sort of vision for the city and like the people that I've connected where we've connected you know, authentically, I don't judge them for their past. I don't judge them for their flaws. like I go, "Wow, that's kind of why I actually like them because of that experience." Oh, And so, um, how do we get there? How do we, how do we, um, and, and again, how can art lead the way to sort of paint that picture for people of, of what we could be and to actually have that kind of positive interaction?
1: Big question. (laughs) But, uh. Because negative is easier. Yeah. And it it works. But I think the only way to fight the ugly is to quadruple the beautiful and art is that at its core, but. Kindness is that that at its core as well. And I think going around and sharing the things that actually are happening that are positive is key. We have to box out the bad. And the only way to do that is to share the positive. It's not being closed-minded to the bad at all. It's saying, can we balance the playing field here, please? Can we have some of the good things that are going on? I sit in meetings all the time, and I'll let the people who are negative stay negative. It's not likely that I'll change them. What I can do is encourage people to get out and vote. I can encourage people to be positive about the things that they do like. Hey, maybe let's take half the time that you spent saying something negative today and tell me what you love about living here. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, I have a pretty big plan of how uh, our generation is going to rise up. And it's something that happened yesterday and it it truly is, uh, that soon there will be a bit of an uprising from the people who really care, uh, about positivity being at the epicenter of Roswell. And I'm blown away by people's excitement talking about the city. It is invigorating. Mm -hmm. I'm around, I love Roswell. I hear more about that than I do the negative because I refuse to surround myself with people that are only going to look at the negative side of life. I'm a glass half full kind of gal, and that's not changing anytime (laughs) soon.
0: So here's my challenge is that I kind of have two different worlds I navigate in in my Roswell experience. So I'm a dad. I'm out there at the sports fields. I have kids in elementary, middle, and high school. So kind of the, the full gamut, and I have all these people that, um, that, that I love, I have a relationship with, we cheer on our, our kids together, and, um, and they love Roswell. They love the school, they love the parks, they love living here, and salt of the earth, great people. Their only connection to sort of the downtown Roswell, any sort of ideas around development or Roswell's future is um, coming and eating at a restaurant on Canton Street. Like, and they're unaware when you go, hey, you know, wow, there's like it's getting really contentious in our, uh, you know, at, at, at city council meeting as they're talking about these. They're like totally ambivalent to it and they don't really care. Um, you know, we, we recently saw an election where, a whole, you know, you look at what 6,000 people uh, initially voted in the special election and then it jumped to 15,000 people or so. Um, we'll, we'll correct the numbers in the show notes uh, because uh, one of our guys on Positively Roswell is a uh, data so, um But those extra 9,000 people, did they suddenly care? No, it's because we were having a congressional race, so that was more attractive. Did they um, inform themselves on the issues? Did they know what was going on? I would say no. I would say they were doing their patriotic duty of voting. I would say that's not really your patriotic duty. Your patriotic duty is being informed and then voting. Um, but there's this disconnect between sort of my friends that are connected in sort of the heart in Roswell, that are connected with with, with what's going on in the city, that maybe serve on commissions, that are plugged in, that, that, are, that are spending time and energy and resources going, how do we improve the future of Roswell? And, the, and between people that are just kind of here enjoying Roswell and living in Roswell, how do we bridge that connection and, and get people to say, you know, wow, my voice like actually really matters and I need to be paying attention to what's happening.
1: I think education's at the key. I mean, nobody knows what's going on. There's no one source of information. I sit on awesome boards where everyone talks about their passion to communicate to the public, yet it's all over the place. Good luck getting more than one niche in a city. If you're not, if we we don't have a news source that anyone can listen to and and feel that it's fair, I'm not even going down that road. Mm -hmm. But what I know is that we each have to take a responsibility. We know something. You better get out and share it. Seriously. This is something that I, I have ignored so many people when they said, Christina, you should probably tell more of your friends and encourage them to get out of vote. And guess what? The next wedding happens and I forget. And then it comes down to being several months out of a very important election and then everyone freaks out and it's got to start moving. Well, we're in that, we're in that stage again, and we're going to be there for the next several months. And so my encouragement and my hope is that everyone that's paying attention right now, go tell 10 of your friends yesterday.
0: For that person out there that just goes, well, I, I watch about the the president and Congress and these bills in uh, uh, on Fox news or CNN. Um, what, what, uh, what does city government do? Why does, Why should I even go out and vote?
1: Your local government actually affects the day-to-day. It's affecting traffic. It's affecting what you're seeing going up. It's affecting what you're seeing going down. It's affecting where your tax dollars go. I understand a lot of people say, that's over my head. And in, in a lot of ways, it is. There should be more concise communication. When I say concise, I mean... Not paragraphs and paragraphs worth of people explaining something that actually has no interest. I mean, can we be experts at all things? Absolutely not. We need to simplify the conversation, educate on the key points that really will draw the voters because it. Do you think we have time to be experts at everything? And by the way, if you're saying yes, then we should probably never meet. <laughs>
0: Well, the you know, the famous quote is from Tip O'Neill. All politics is local. And what you talk about is like, you know, don't vote in your you know, city uh, for your serv- city government, your city elections, unless you care about, you know, the police, firemen, your roads, your parks, your schools, what's going up around you, what's going down around you, the kind of shops that you're able to eat in, uh, the kind of air that you're able to breathe. It's like the, the places that you can enjoy the legacy that you leave. It's, it's so much more important. It has so much more direct impact on your life. Um, but yet it's a big challenge to get people to connect with it. Somehow our civics lessons fall short. We have to transition because this is positively Roswell. So we're That's not right. here to criticize them. We're here, to, like, how do we awaken in, in them? How do we a- awaken? um, civic engagement. And, and I'm going to give you a chance to do that because I think you're the right person for the job. Um, because what I feel like is lacking. And to me, this is a spiritual principle of without vision, the people shall perish. And with that, again, there's lots of naysayers, but I'm a visual person. Maybe it's, and I imagine you are too, (laughs) but, um, you know, when I, when I look at, um, let's say the Southern skillet, uh, you know, property. What used to be the Southern Skillet. Uh, when I when I look at the Value Village and I and I see this old kind of decrepit building, I'm a person of vision, so I can kind of imagine what it could be. But then when a when an artist, an architect, paints a picture of what it could be, wow! I get it, and I'm excited. And that's something that everyone should go check out. the the uh, The plans, the the project scope that's been approved, it's pretty exciting of what that can be. Um, and then I really get it because someone has painted the picture for me and now I'm I'm really excited about it. I don't have to just imagine a lot of people, you know, that don't have, that aren't, wouldn't consider themselves artistic. You'll take issue with that because you think everyone has that in them somewhere. They got to unlock it. But, um, you, you know, they, they might look at it and just not get it. They only see what's there. And so what I see is that, um, people just see what's there. So if I go down Oak street, I see, um, I see this like excitement happening on Rocco. I see a cool looking uh, place across the street and there's a dog kennel. I see a water tower that um, looks really drab. And then I see a whole bunch of like mechanic shops that are kind of run down. Um, But, and so that's what people could see right now. Um, Tell us, paint us a picture of what could be on Oak street and what it could do for our city.
1: That's no problem seeing that. I'm asked that nearly every day. Uh, I see the arts district of Roswell. I see a beautiful entryway that the city funds for people to know that this is Oak Street. This is a creative street. This is where you can come home. I see a building that's going to be filled with 30,000 square feet of creative professionals. I see the rest of Oak Street slowly developing because it is going to take time for people to want to remake some of these old auto garages. But as we all know from any city that has a creative epicenter, those are the artists' favorite spots. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, we're, we have a specific vision for Oak Street because with all these new developments, how are we going to contend? And we're not trying to contend. We're trying to be home for a specific style and that is artful that is ultimately fearless because anybody with creative pursuits has to pretend even that they're fearless we are going to fit more people per space than most spaces because we have to to pay the rent you're going to find a lot of young people but hopefully that age their age will be no issue you'll see people of all ages that have recently discovered their creative spirit, like my mom, who just picked up a paintbrush. It was my journey that inspired her to, to go for her own. And I've seen that over and over. I had a conversation with a, uh, a girl in Roswell that I never could have imagined I would talk to at a wedding last weekend. And she said, I have been doing design work on the side for many years. And I said, oh my gosh, why are you not pursuing that? You have, you have a gift. She said, well, I, I do insurance during the day. And I said, well, that's got to stop. I said, do you have the means to take a risk? If you don't, you might get, have to get a side hustle like I did. And you got to, cannot stop working at that. You have a contribution to give to the world and you must give it. It's your responsibility. And so our hope is that we will inspire people one at a time. When they come into our hood, and I'm assuming one day it'll be a hood. It won't just be a Roko. But right now I can only speak for us. So let's be clear about that. <laughs> I see people getting inspired to dig into that space that I believe 100% exists in all people. And I hope that it lights up. And I think with that, with the joy that comes from pursuing that creative, that message that we have for the world, that uniqueness that's inside of us, that then they become alive. And we all know that those people that come alive in the world, that's what we need. And I think those people will go out into the community. And in fact, that's what we're calling for people to do. Come come November, we're going to have several opportunities for people to learn and to come alive uh, regarding their city. And I think that it'll help to hear from somebody that's like them mm-hmm. and they are out there. And you saw that at that yeah. event.
0: I think the the challenge that we have, because because when you just through your words, like I can see it, I I, I get it and, I, and I'm excited about it. And the challenge that I say is, it, it, it was sort of a passing comment before, and so. Um, but when you talked about just even on your own journey, how you know you're at a place where you could afford a two hundred fifty thousand dollar home. When my family moved to Roswell in nineteen ninety, we bought a two hundred fifty thousand dollar home, that now, upon its last selling, um, sold for six hundred fifty thousand dollars. Income has not risen, <laughs> at the same rate as uh as the cost of housing. Um so now we have this challenge of um if we have these young creative professionals, even people doing well, where you know you have to be doing really well to afford a six hundred thousand dollar townhome is what you know it's <laughs> no. the, the townhomes in Roswell are six hundred thousand right. dollars. Uh, you know it's it it's so it's so expensive. So the the challenge of affordability because there's so many things. At some point with all these growth, you know, if we don't have affordable housing, who's going to be able to, to work in all these restaurants? Who's going to be able to, you know, even our own city employees, even our own police officers? Think about this. How does this strike your patriotism? That the a police officer who protects Roswell doesn't make enough money to be able to home to own a home in Roswell like that doesn't that doesn't seem right. It's like how can we have community policing? You just think about this. The the idea of like community policing is like, well, they they live and play and work right with us. We know our police, they're there to protect us. Well, they all drive to Woodstock at night because none of them can afford to live here. And so there there's this gap um with affordable housing and it's not enough to say, well, you know, they just need to stay renters. We we have to come up with with some kind of solution for that, um, and I think it's going to be key to Oak Street. You know, and now you know I, I heard you speak at Roswell Provisions um, for for Roswell Next about Roco, and that was there was a lot of developers in the room, and I actually asked that question, and I felt like it got crickets because I was like. Um, well, how are we going to have some affordable housing? There, no one's even making those products. No one's even even with the new stuff going in. They'll put in apartments that, that rent at a premium, but you know, outside of Liberty Lofts, there's not even any apartment style just condos that are you know that are available in the city. Um, much you know, and then you can take on you know even a fixer upper is, you know, getting into the 300,000s. So
1: is this a personal rant
0: or is there a problem here that needs to be solved? it's definitely
1: a problem, but I, and I'm not, this is not negativity as much as it's just real life. Every town that gets popular because of its amenities, this happens to. San Francisco, are you kidding? Cannot live there at all, unless you're a techie in Palo Alto. People are coming in with cash at $5 million homes in the city. Oakland now is almost unlivable. People can't afford to Oakland. It's the nature of the beast. And in a sense, I am not as much trying to fight it as much as I am to acknowledge it and say, okay, what can we possibly do to delay what is without a doubt going to happen? Either side of the spectrum. Roswell is the closest kind of low-key river community outside the city that has an epicenter, the population's not going anywhere. And for the people who want it to stop, good luck. Or the first stop that has any sort of city center outside, outside Atlanta. And so we have to connect with more. So I think the city has a job to do, but I think we've got to create environments that are more dense to be able to house more folks. We are not going to be able to stop individual Business, people who own houses, say, behind Oak Street, which is a beautiful community, a very a very diverse community, which we love. And that's why we're closest to it. We don't want to see it change completely. But at the same time, people who own their homes and are looking for that bump that's going to allow them to buy the home of their dreams. I mean, can we blame them to wish that the housing costs go up so that they can move into their, say, dream home? So I think it's, it's a beast. It really is. But the city should. Do something about land and allow it to be able to house more folks as far as density. And maybe this isn't everyone's answer, and that's fine. I would just love to hear a different answer.
0: Because that's the buzzword that everybody seems to rally against. If you talk about density, they go, well, you're just going to add more traffic. So they totally ignore that you're adding the density so that people can walk to
1: work. Exactly. And that's what... put
0: fewer cars on the road. And I don't know
1: if people know this, but just recently, and I'm not going to say names, a very important piece of property on Oak Street was uh, denied for a development that was going to likely house many of the artists for rent property that would have been perpendicular to us. It's now going to be three stories of storage units. That is an atrocity for our community. Because we actually have the people that are we're looking and waiting for that opportunity to be there. Whoever the developer. I'm not even speaking towards the developer. I'm saying this idea of having, say, a four-story place that you could rent for X amount per month. That's no longer an option. It is now going to be three stories of utility space, ultimately. That happened yesterday. Mm-hmm. And, and that's it- that's so sad for us because the other houses over there... I think are awesome because in a lot of ways, those houses are for people that have lower income. They should, in a sense, stay. And I know they're building all these buildings to be able to house in a more beautiful way. These uh, people that have stipends from the city, which is amazing, but a storage unit in a place that's literally walkable to downtown, and that's the only area. And so we're focusing on that. Our hope is that that area will remain affordable so we can all live there and be able to walk uh, to downtown.
0: So that's the challenge and that's and so maybe that's a different side of the story that you haven't heard before. I think whenever I hear density brought up it's always in the context of not in my backyard. Well, in actuality how it's they're applying it is they're saying not in your backyard because they're not talking about you're not talking about density behind Brookfield Country Club. You're not talking about density in Wexford. You're not talking about Density in Habersham Downs. You're talking about density replacing old rundown garages, storage units, uh, uh, unoccupied buildings, uh, jails. <laughs> you know, you're know, you talking about places that, that have already been commercial use. Where And honestly,
1: there are no trees. I mean, yeah, there are, on, <laughs> on Oak, there are so few trees because the development already happened in the past. And we don't have many areas that are fit for what we're asking. There has to be an area walkable downtown that we create that is, and I'm not talking dodgy here. I'm saying something nice that people have to work for. I'm not saying giving things away. I'm saying for my friends who are single, especially who can live in a place at $1,500 a month as a single person making say under $50,000 a year. I've seen it over and over with my friends. They cannot live here because of the pricing. So are we going to have one age group walking the city of Roswell? Because that, that's to everyone's detriment. I love being challenged by alternative thought, and I love being challenged by people that don't uh, even have, even their world is nothing like mine. And let's be honest, if I did wanna be around that, I'd probably have moved already. But I've gotta stay hopeful that Roswell is gonna be this beautiful mix of a lot of different ways to live life, but we're gonna have home to that instead of becoming one way.
0: Thank you so much to Christina DeVictor for being our guest on the Positively Roswell podcast and to Osteria Matone for allowing us to record in this beautiful environment. Next week, we'll be sitting down with Doug Curley, one of the founders of Positively Roswell. We'll be talking about what motivated the launch of this organization and his passion to help make Roswell a world-class community that can continue to flourish as one of the best places in the nation to live, work, and play. This is Positively Roswell.